is Carly Gwinski here from Wellspring Church, and you've joined us in our Unaccepted series, and we're looking at how Jesus is interacting with those who seem to be unaccepted, unworthy, and just looked down upon in their community. So how does Jesus interact with them? How does he use everyday people to do the extraordinary? Let's hop into our service now and see what Pastor Jason has to say. So I used to work at American Eagle. I was a manager there. One of my jobs was to, uh, to look over applications, hire people, train them. And, uh, and so I, I would look over a stack of applications. I, li- I was working in a college town, so I had a whole bunch. And I was really looking for one thing at the start, any grammatical errors. Because I'm a grammatical idiot, and if I can spot an error, then you can't work for me. So if it says cat lady, spelt with a K, you're fired from the beginning. You're, you don't get a job with me. And I would look over these things and be like, no, there's an error. And like, or, hey, you're writing in pencil. You're an idiot. No, like I would just find <laughs> all these reasons, like no experience, being the oldest child doesn't get you a job. Like, I, like all these types of things, and especially in the grammar, I would be like, no, not a chance. But at American Eagle in Lynchburg, Virginia, that's where one candidate rose to the top, became my wife, because uh, I met Ava. She didn't have any grammatical errors. She won the spelling bee in the fourth grade, so she'll tell you. And, uh, and so she did, I did hire her and uh, fell in love, and uh, she became my wife. And then we took, uh, anyway, so the rest is history. If you have been applying for a job recently, maybe you just graduated uh, college, like five years experience? I'll show you my experience. My four-year college went five years, but that's about all I got. And you're looking for these jobs. Maybe you're like the valedictorian of your of rectors, and you're like, five years experience? You're not even getting me in the door. I'm, I'm not qualified for your job, and the only job you're going to give me is an internship? How am I supposed to pay my $60,000 in loans with an internship? Like, you're looking at the system, and you're like, this is so messed up. I'm so qualified, but, but they're demanding so much experience that how, in the, how could I possibly get a job? Have you been there, or can you maybe even just relate to that? If I look at our current staff members at, at Wellspring here, if they were to be fired or to quit, and we were to go and hire somebody else, none of them, by industry standards, would be qualified for their jobs, because we would look for certain qualifications to weed out candidates. Doesn't that say something about our system? Like, that's messed up, myself included. What does the resume of your life say? If you were looking at what you would put on a piece of paper as way of a resume, depending on what day you would fill it out, it might look a little different. You might might look at it and you're like, Man, I'm so underqualified. If I'm filling it out, I'm just a small town, uh, small town boy from New Hampshire. I grew up in a town of like 4,000 people. But I did win a state champion shocker. <laughs> My parents got divorced, and I struggled with eating. I struggled with self-image. I strugg- struggled with self-harm and suicide. I went on and struggled with drinking. I, I, I can tell you crazy, awful stories about drinking or, or issues with anger or girls or things of that nature. I, I could fill out a, a, a resume of my life that it would be like, man, I'm not getting any job anytime, anywhere. 
But then, depending on how I'm feeling, I might look at it and be like, well, I did win a state championship. I was the first, first team in school history to win a state championship. And I was the goalie for that team. How you like them apples? And then I went on to walk on as a Division II soccer player. Well, and, and then I, I got a job that I wasn't qualified for <laughs> as a youth pastor because I was a D's get degrees guy, but I got this job because I knew somebody, and I held a youth pastor job for eight years when industry standard is about 18 months. So I, I could write on this and be like, ah, it depends on my mood. As you think about your life and what you would put on a piece of paper, are you like me where we feel pretty ordinary at best? So I was... And when day came, he called his disciples. And he, I'm so loud. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he named apostles. So an important decision. And Jesus didn't see prayer as a waste of time. On his to-do list for saving mankind from their sins, spending 8 to 12 hours in a three-year time period wasn't a waste of time. Because he knew Jesus is fully God and fully man. So he's, he's God and he's human. He, he has, he has hum, humanity. He, he, has, he, has, he has limitations. And Jesus understands this, that he, has, that he has put himself, he has submitted himself to being a human. And so he understands that Jesus in a human capacity cannot invest into thousands of people like he would want to. And so in his human nature, he has to pick a smaller amount that he's going to do life with, invest into them, and then empower them through the Holy Spirit to start this thing, to launch this thing that we know as church today. And so prayer is not a waste of time. He's going to model for them. I'm investing into you, then you go and do likewise. Go and make disciples. And so he picks from thousands, a group of 12 that's going to be his traveling partners. They're going to walk where he's walking, sleep where he's sleeping, eat the meals that he's eating. See how he handles situations to go and to do likewise. And so this is what we would call discipleship. That you and I, we've said yes to Jesus, and so we're disciples of Jesus. Now, we don't necessarily use that terminology again. If we take that, that proverbial, like, water cooler talk, you're not going in tomorrow and being like, well, I found out I'm a disciple of Jesus. They're like, what does that mean? That I'm a follower. I want to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So we use this term discipleship. And I'm gonna, here's how I define discipleship. I'm a Christian, and I want to be more like my master, Jesus Christ. And so every single day, Discipleship for me is find the next step of obedience. How can I be more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? And if I'm coming alongside another in a relationship, I'm trying to, I don't want to start this relationship, and I didn't, I didn't enter into a relationship with Ava and say, Ava, here's a list of 35 things where you're not like Jesus. I need you to start tackling all of them right now. But mutually, we come at each other and say, Jason, you're you're lacking in this area. We need to grow in this area. And every, it's a lifelong battle to grow, to be a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more like Jesus. And so when we come alongside another, we're helping them in that process as well. So in our church, you could, you could narrow it down to two phrases. 
Pray for one and take two. As a church, we pray for one. God, give me one more. Give me one more. God, build your church. I'm waking up and I'm praying for specific people. God, let me share the gospel today with this person. God, I'm praying salvation over this person. Grow your kingdom. One more, one more, one more. But then as you grow in leadership within the church, we're asking our leaders to take two. To pray for one and to take two. Can you take two and invest into a relationship? Invest into trusting them. Invest that they might entrust, uh, trust you and help them grow in their walk with Jesus. So pray for one and then take two. See, discipleship is an intentional two-way relationship where, we're, where we love each other. We trust each other. This isn't like, hey, I want to be your friend and from time to time I'll give you some cute little advice. I'll make, make a little snappy uh, tweet or Facebook post, and you should really, you know, lean into that from time to time. No, this, this is a deep, passionate relationship built on trust. One, one of the reasons we don't do uh, book studies here, like in our life groups, we don't, you're not going to sign up for a group on Romans, you're not going to sign up for a group on this Y, X, Y, Z, is because here's what we envision. Uh, I, I look at our congregation, the staff looks at the elder, whoever, we're looking at this and we're saying, a group of us, the church really needs to grapple with this truth, and so we're going to preach on that. Those are the book studies. You know what we're doing next? Galatians. You know why we're preaching Galatians next? It's because I was looking at our congregation saying, we really need a dose of freedom. We need to taste what freedom in Jesus looks like and how beautiful that is. So watch us online next week as we launch a series on freedom, Red, White, Deja Vu. And if we want to do a book study, here's where that's going to come. Pat's going to lead a life group, and he's going to invest into another, and he's going to say, man, this person, this person really needs the concepts mentioned in James. And so in a one-on-one or one-on-two relationship, he's going to start wrestling and grappling through the book of James with that person because it's, 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 it's needed for that said person. And so that's where we see these book studies coming through. Because discipleship is a long-term relationship. It's, it's not a brief set of lessons. It's up close. It's personal. It's, it's not distant. Discipleship, true, Jesus-like discipleship, needs eye-to-eye contact. It needs lots of opportunity to see each other at their best and their worst, to do life together. It's relational, not informal. Or not formal, I should say. It's practical, not theoretical. It's, it's coaching, not controlling. It's, it's trying to shape somebody not to be exactly like me, to be, but to be like be like Jesus. No one graduates from a discipleship program. What you do is you take a relationship and you're not trying to teach them, you're trying to season them. Become more like Jesus. So where is is leadership in in becoming more like Jesus? Is that that important to us? Is it important enough to look for character? Someone who's moldable and and humble enough to be molded? Do we we pray over this? How much do we consider what, what we should be looking for in leaders of of the church? Are we investing into prayer? Because here's what I know of Jesus's model, that the church isn't going to be built off of a strong one-man show. Because if anybody could be a one-man show, it was Jesus. And he chose 12. So the church can't be built on a one-man show. The church is going to be built on somebody that's preparing the community for life after said leader. Because the church can't be all about a human person. The church has to be all about Jesus Christ. And so are we investing into relationships to build the name of Jesus Christ through relationships? Here's what I loved about last week. I didn't do anything. 
I showed up. I had no stress. I just helped with different things here and there. I didn't do a darn thing. I went to the parking lot and just said, here's my attitude. I'm going to rock the parking lot. Because I wanted people laughing before they walked in. Because I knew Graham was preaching. And I knew if I could get you guys to have a great old attitude and be loving it, then that sets a much better mood for us to hear God's word, doesn't it? Perhaps the parking lot's our most important ministry. And so I took it as a joy, and I left Sunday knowing that Graham crushed the sermon. Uh, yeah, you can. Why not? Graham said it. I meet with him every single week, and I didn't know he was that funny. But it was really cool to know that I could die tomorrow. The church isn't built on me. It's going to keep going. It doesn't die. Because I want this church to last. And if the church is built on a human, when said human dies, there dies the mission. There dies the church. But if my life and the life of this church is built on the one who is eternal, then death won't stop the mission. And so I'm investing in my discipleship-type relationships. I'm investing in two people, Graham and Josh Ross. Graham, Graham meets with me. He, he's humble enough to ask questions. He's, he's humble enough to ask my advice about a passage. He's humble enough to walk through a process. He's humble enough to apply that process. He's humble enough to grow in that area. He, he has said it, both Josh, both Josh and, and Graham. The, J, Graham said it, but, but it's true. I, I've, I've grappled with them. I've wrestled with them. I said, if you're going to preach this, are you living it? Has this been a truth for you? And they're humble enough to say, before I preach it, I'm going to have the integrity to be living it. Josh, Josh, to his credit, he went on a ski trip weekend thing the last time before he preached. And you know what he did? He, he forgo time with his buddies, his college buddies. He hung out in a condo for six hours while they were off skiing because he's like, I'm not with my wife and my kids. This is a time where I can carve out six hours to work on this sermon. And he did it. These are people humble enough to be taught. They're ordinary, everyday people. Graham works at Keswick. Josh is a, is a counselor in the social work field. Everyday people preaching God's word. Why? Because God's not looking for our skill set. He's looking to speak through us. He's looking to be his. My skill set is Jesus. And so he picks people that are humble enough to get out of their way so Jesus can do his thing. So here's the 12 people that Jesus, uh, Jesus had. Simon, who, whom he named Peter, Andrew and his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, yeah, that dude, and Matthew and Thomas and, and James, sons of that other person, and then Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus is up all night wrestling over names of thousands of people. And these are the 12. Like, you would think Julius Caesar, or you would think, like, this well-known rabbi or somebody is going to come to the top, like, and with this amazing list of credentials, and these are the 12. He chose people that would one day play a central role in starting the church, and these are the people he surrounded himself with. All but Judas are going to play a role in that regard. They're ordinary at best. Fisherman, a tax collector. Late, late, later on, 
publicly, Peter and John will be called unschooled, ordinary. Yep, that's a fact. As best as we can know, 11 out of 12 of them aren't even from Judea, aren't from anywhere near Jerusalem, the religious hub. And people will attack Jesus. They would look at that as a knock against Jesus, that he's not picking people from the religious hub of society because the very religious, they wouldn't do that. They would start in Jerusalem. They would go to the temple. They would look for the brightest scholars, but not Jesus. Jesus picks somebody that is fishing. You know what it means that Peter and others are fishing? It means that they are that, that they are. Their Jewish school dropouts. They failed. They were unaccepted. They haven't been picked up by another rabbi. So Jesus picks the unaccepted and says, I accept you. Follow me. And they do. Because he doesn't care if they're the best and the brightest. He's looking for their humility and their teachability. He doesn't look at their resume and say, they better have a long list. It's no, will they trust me enough to live life with me? The one that has the best resume? Judas, how'd he turn out? He, he's from a rugged area of the country. People would respect the area. He's from a, he's from a line of, of the Hebrew people that he would be well-respected. His father, Simon Iscariot, is, is somebody that, and under a previous regime, was known for being an awesome freedom fighter. None of this says that Judas was some terrorist extremist or something like that, but it does suggest that he has a pretty good background to be a freedom fighter if that's what he's looking for. Might there have been a better Jew in all of Israel? According to Jewish, Jewish his, his rap sheet there, he's the best qualified in all the people. Sometimes our qualifications get in our own way, don't they? You don't know the name Peter if you don't know Jesus. Not too many people are named Julius, huh? <laughs> There's a few people named Peter. We know the name Peter. That name made it out of the first century because of what Jesus did in this guy's life. Jesus is looking to live his life through us. He's looking for our availability. He's looking for us to be humble. He's looking for our character, our integrity, our willingness, our humility. He's looking that we would rely on God over our own qualifications. He doesn't select leaders like you and I would maybe select leaders looking for fame, looking for money, looking for a name. He selects people that know they bring nothing to the table and they just need Jesus. So what do the 12 have in common, maybe short of Judas? They have in common Jesus and a whole lot of lack of qualifications. They got nothing. That's what they have in common. They need Jesus. And on their own, they can't do anything. On their own, they die. I had a decent fishing career. On their own, I die a decent tax collector. On my own, I, I, I die an owner of a job. On my own, I die a school teacher. On my own, I die this, that, the other thing. But with Jesus, that changes everything. Jesus is our muscle. The mission that they're calling, that Jesus is going to call them into, demands a little muscle. And so, so here's, how, here's how this played out in my family uh, last week. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and, uh, and uh, my baby girl, Reagan. And uh, my two boys feel like they're like the Hulk, and that anytime they want to wrestle, like their Hulk muscles come out. And, uh, and, and so they feel like they can attack me and beat me up and all those things. And 
to this date. That's never happened. I own them. And, uh, and so here we are at the end of the night. And uh, Reagan's in with Ava, brushing her hair and whatnot, doing those whatever. And uh, I'm wrestling with my boys on their bed, and their muscles are coming out, and they're pile-driving, and I'm owning them and tickling them and trying to make them pee that they're laughing so hard and, and all those fun dad things. And then I see, I see Reagan come running into the, running into the room, and uh, I, I just saw this all play out where she caught the eye of her, of her brothers, and she's like, I'm going to join in the fun, and I'm going to attack Daddy. And she jumps on, uh, she jumps on the bed, and she She's made eye contact with her brothers, and I saw this playing out with my with her brother's eyes, and uh, she goes to like cowabunga, like pile drive me, and, and just knees me right in the gut, and her brothers looked at each other and didn't join in. <laughs> they were like, you're on your own. <laughs> and then she, she said the sweetest little thing in the world. She looked back when she realized her muscle was gone. <laughs> she said, come on, boys. <laughs> And at that point, a switch turned, and I was like, I'm on Team Reagan. Let's go get them. And we crushed them. And then they went to bed all souped up on energy. Reagan lost her muscle and needed to find some muscle. That's what's needed in a disciple. I prayed with Graham last week as he was throwing up before the service. He wasn't literally throwing up, but he wanted to. And I, my prayer for him was that God... May your strength be seen through his weakness. And I think last week was one of the best sermons I have ever heard, and that's a testament not to Graham. It's a testament to Jesus Christ, who was his muscle in that situation. And so here, here's a verse that Paul will one day write. He, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness. So the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says that in 2 Corinthians. And so I, I prayed that with, with, uh, with Graham. I, pray, I, I have talked through that with a parent. I've talked through that with a sibling. These, these people that will come to me and be like, I have all this going on in life, and I just need to, I just need to act like I'm so strong so that my, my sibling or my child will be strong. I need to be strong for them. And to a degree, yes, but if it's fake strength, then it's not real strength. If it's fake strength, what are you teaching them? You're teaching them how to be a fake. And how is that going to get them through life? What we need to teach our disciples, what, how we need to handle life as a follower of Jesus Christ to say, God, I am weak. I am not strong. God, I need you. God, I'm relying upon you. So what you can teach your sibling, what you can teach your child, is here's where I'm weak. Here's where I'm not going to stay weak. Here's how I get out of my own way. I let Jesus be my strength in this area. Let me show you Jesus. Let me show you Jesus. Let me show you Jesus. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. That's why we, we, we promote, that's why one of our core values is endless growth. Wake up every day and say, God, I am going to be perpetually weak until I die and meet you in glory. So here's, here's where I need more of you. Here's where I need your strength. Here's where you can fill me, God. I need you. Because if I'm always showing fake strength every single day, I'm probably not grappling with endless growth, am I? If I'm always fake strength, then I don't need Jesus. Every day I want to wake up needing Jesus. These 12 men... Don't have it all together overnight. They would realize how weak they are for the next three years in their internship. Be patient with yourself. It took them three plus years to really kind of get it all together. We just became a Christian this year. 
Be patient with yourself. You just need Jesus Christ. I don't want my life built on Jason Koash. I want my life built on Jesus. I don't want to show you that I have it all together. I don't. I put on my pants just like you. I want you to see Jesus through my, through my weakness. I will boast in my weaknesses. I will show you in the most non-self-deprecating way possible all the areas where I struggle, all the areas where I lose sleep, all the areas where I'm trying to grow in self-awareness and where I feel like I suck right now. Jesus, come in. I need you. And it's not self-deprecating. It's just honest. I'm a human, and I need Jesus. Because in my weaknesses, I will point you to Jesus Christ. I will boast in Jesus. And that's what we as Christians do. And so the big thought for us today where this all comes together is that Jesus uses everyday people to do the amazing. Can we say amen to that? That before me sits a whole bunch of ordinary people. Can't we praise God that God uses the ordinary and does the amazing? He uses the little shepherds in a field and says, grab a slingshot, you're going to kill a giant today. He has an amazing purpose for you. He's not looking for a long list of qualifications. He's just looking for you. So will you give yourself to him. He's looking for your will, not your qualifications. The difference maker in my life is never going to be Jason Koash. It's always going to be Jesus Christ. He's what makes the ordinary extraordinary. Not me on my own skill set. It's Jesus that takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. So will I allow him to shape me, mold me, and form me to be more like him? Are you willing to craft Jesus, craft your life? Or are you willing to let Jesus craft your life and to make something beautiful out of the ashes? You, you can boast of your resume. You can boast of your character. Or you can let God start building your resume and boast in Jesus because of it. And then you can look at others and say, as long as you and I have child of God written on this, this is the best resume you could ever look at. Because Jesus is my resume. Jesus is my muscle. Short of child of God on my res resume, this is utterly worthless. Jesus changes everything. And so then I say, God, I want your fame to grow. God, I want one more. God, as many people in your kingdom as quickly as possible. I wake up praying for one, praying for one, praying for one. And then I look to say, God, grow your fame. God, grow your fame. Give me, give me two to invest into in a more personal way. God, let me grow your kingdom. If this is all about you, if my resume is all about you, then I better speak up and let others know about it. If it's truly that awesome because I want Jesus' fame to grow because I see him as life changing. And so the process that he began back on the cross, are we going to continue to let it grow and build his kingdom? Let me show you how this plays out. I went to a church where I was hired for a job. Go back to that picture for a second. Right after, that's a great picture. Right after that picture, I, that's when I was working at American Eagle. And at that time, at that time, I got a call from somebody that I just knew, and they had a, an opening in, in their, in their uh, church, and they said, come up and fill a position. I thought it was great. I wasn't qualified. I said, yes, sure, awesome. And within a year, I'm talking to my mentor, and I'm crying on his couch saying, my boss isn't investing into me. I have no clue what I'm doing. I have 100-plus kids coming every single week. I'm in over my head, and no one's investing into me. They just want a nice finished product, and I don't know how to produce. And then said person did some things and was no longer at the church. And somebody else came in. And I had nothing in common with this person. He went for walks as a fun day. I was like, I watch baseball or 
or do sports things. I don't just go for walks willy-nilly. Like, we had nothing in common. But you know what? He did have a heart for Jesus. And the utmost of integrity. And he invested in me, invested in me, invested in me. And one day when I'm struggling with drinking, and, and, and he comes alongside me and says, not that I'm fired, but how can we make you more like Jesus? He comes alongside me and helps me grow. And then, and then a month, a few months, years later, he, he says, I, I, I see something in you, and I, you should plan a church. You should start a church. I'm like, what? What if they ask me about, like, Calvinism and Arminianism? I'm like, I don't, wait, I don't like Jesus. I'm not qualified for this. And he saw something in me. He kept praying it. He invested into me and made it not so much about me, but about the mission. That's the difference between two incredible leaders, the, the one that would invest in me and the one that would say, we're never going to plan a church because why would we raise up competition for ourselves? One wanted to build the kingdom at large, and one wanted to build their kingdom. Are you building your kingdom, and are you being used, or do you want to be used to build God's kingdom? And so here's my challenge for us today. The aisle hosts are coming down right now. They're going to give out these things called model, moldable, I don't know, whatever these things. It's little things of clay. My challenge for us this week is to give the clay away. Now, now this might be a little weird if you walk into some stranger in a coffee shop that you've never met and, and just give them a piece of clay. This might be more appropriate for somebody you know, like a child or, or, or a spouse or, or a co-worker, something that you've been building a relationship with, with one simple message. I believe wholeheartedly God can mold you into something beautiful. Will you let him? Let that open up a conversation. Perhaps it's going to open up one of your take-twos. Perhaps it's going to open up this, this relationship where they're like, can you teach me more about that? Can you, can you walk through this with me? If you truly think God can make something beautiful out of me, how do I do that? How do I grow in this? And so give the clay away. Give it to somebody that you think truly God can do something beautiful in their lives. For me, this will likely be my oldest son. Who will it be for you this week? And so your, your church is led by a whole lot of people out of their element. That if we were to fire them right now, none of them would be qualified for the job on paper. We have two people with, with no uh, undergraduate degree. We have a, uh, somebody that used to be a contractor for NASA, now leading our, uh, our children's ministry. Two and two. Like she wants to send people to the, the kids to the moon sometimes, but like she has no qualification. We, we, we have a Kohl's manager working our, leading our GE. I have no business being on this platform, but I have Jesus. They have Jesus, and I think if we're out of our element and we have to trust on Jesus, that's a good thing, isn't it? And so for you, you're more than just a middle child. If you have Jesus, you're more than, you're more than just a JV soccer player you have Jesus, you're, you're more than just a recent grad working an internship now. If you have Jesus, you're more than just a mom who acting like an Uber driver. You're more. And for me, coming up on here every single week, and I hope it does this, does this for you, that Jesus would choose to use us. I pray that it would truly leave us with a sense of wonder. Thank you so much for watching. If this is your first time with the Wellspring Church channel, we hope that this message was enjoyable to you. 
But if you call Wellspring Church home and you would like to make a donation to this ministry and help build the kingdom of God here in Tom's River and worldwide, you can go ahead and see a link for that in our video description. Subscribe to this channel, be kept up to date on all the newest content put out here at Wellspring Church. And until next time, we hope you guys have a great day.